Hello and welcome to the Engineer Soft Skills Podcast. On this one, we have a special episode because it is the first interview on the Engineer Soft Skills Podcast. And I sat down with Pat Sweet. Pat is an experienced engineering leader, project manager, product manager, writer, speaker, and coach. He runs the site Engineering and Leadership, where you can learn how to become a great engineering leader. I love this conversation with Pat. I thought there were a lot of great insights and aha moments. And I loved having the opportunity to pick Pat's brain on what one can do to become a better engineer, to thrive in their careers, to go about job hunting, to go about developing their soft skills, which is obviously a topic that is near and dear to my heart as the title of my website, blog, podcast, YouTube channel might indicate. And yeah, I just love this conversation. So I hope you guys enjoy my conversation with Pat Sweet. Welcome to the Engineer Soft Skills Podcast. My mission is to help engineers like you develop your soft skills, which are all the skills you weren't taught in engineering school. You will learn how to develop your confidence, increase your productivity, become a better problem solver, and improve your social skills in order to design a career and life that you love. All right, so I'm here with Pat Sweet. Pat is the he runs engineering and leadership a website that helps engineers develop their leadership skills as well as their technical skills um, he's a very experienced engineer in his own right pat thanks so much for joining me hey dylan thank you so much We're really happy to be here yeah yeah so i'd like to start out just with what is your engineering background so i started um i started my career in electrical engineering uh, i st studied electrical in school um, got into building and facilities design and, and found a little bit of a, a niche in, um, in uh, energy management and did that for a couple of years, ended up working for a utility company managing a, um, a, uh, a feed-in tariff program, which is basically a, a program to um, help individuals generate electricity on their own properties, mostly, mostly rooftop solar, that kind of thing. Um, so I did that for a few years and then moved into a field called systems engineering, which is not not the most common, not the most well-known, not, not one of your staple, you know, uh, chemical, electrical, mechanical, kind of bread and butter engineering disciplines. Um, but I moved into systems engineering in the rail industry, uh, with a company called Bombardier, uh, which uh, used to be, at the time, was the world's largest manufacturer of rolling stock of, of, of rail cars. And I got involved in really complex projects there, which is really where systems engineering um, uh, finds its value. It's all about, you know, when, when you've got projects that are huge, it's difficult for a customer to really even ask for what they want because there are so many choices. There are so many things that may conflict with one another. The rail systems we were making were um, uh, automatic, driverless, no attendees. The, the train would literally show up to the station, open the doors, let people on, close the doors and take off again. There was no, not a person to be seen. So really pretty sophisticated systems. So systems engineering is all about helping customers understand what they want in the first place in terms of, of uh, needs analysis, mission analysis, breaking that down into specific requirements, and then figuring out how to go out to the market and buy systems that will do what we need, in this case, a train to do. So Bombardier wouldn't make a brake system. They would go out and buy brakes. Um, they wouldn't make a door system. They would go out and buy doors. But we were that nexus to make sure that 
at the end of the day, you didn't just end up with a bunch of train parts. You ended up with an actual train that did what the customer wanted. Um, now I'm doing similar work, but uh, in, uh, in the shipbuilding industry. So applying the same basic skills uh, for combat systems uh, as opposed to trains. Um, so the, 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 the nuts and bolts of it, even though the systems are completely different, doing very yeah. different things, yeah. obviously, uh, you would hope. Um, the, the, the same, the same basic approach applies and it's a, it's a nice mix between the technical, uh, project management, business, customer management. It's, it's, it's a really cool spot to be. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. It's funny. You mentioned being a systems engineer. I have a variety of those. I'm a mechanical engineer, but we have a variety at the place where I work. And it's funny cause I'll ask people, what does a systems engineer do? And each of them is, it's either a different answer or it's like, I don't really know. <laughs> it's oh, so and that and that's not totally surprising so there's a there's an organization out there called INCOSI, the international council of systems engineering which is kind of like if you're an electrical engineer you know what ieee is if you're a mechanical engineer you probably know what asme is um INCOSI is the systems engineering version of that and they've got a great big handbook um that you can study and, and get a certification in systems engineering i've, I've got that certification and the introductory chapter is all about, you know, defining systems engineering. The first thing they do is offer three different definitions of it. <laughs> right? yeah. So um, at its core, it's about figuring out how to link uh, people, equipment and processes to, to achieve some specific end. So anything can be treated like a system. Yeah, really simple product or, or process could be treated like a, like a system and systems engineering tools and, and thought processes can be applied, but it's often not worth it until you start talking about much more complex systems like fighter jets and automatic trains and, and space shuttles and this kind of thing. Yep. Got it. Yeah. Um, and so you started your website, Engineering and Leadership, um, as well as uh, it seems to be a business as well as a coaching practice and a ton of blogs and everything. I found it to be a great resource. What was your intention behind starting that? I started that back in 2012. And at the time, uh, it was really it was really just a, a, a hobby. It was something that I wanted to, to explore as a way to, uh, frankly, improve my writing, get some get some ideas out there. I just, um, I just read uh, a book from a fellow named Tim Ferriss called the four hour work week, um, which I'm, I'm sure a lot of your a lot of your listeners are familiar with. Yeah. And he kind of uh, presented this idea that there's a lot of value that you can generate personally and professionally from having a platform. And what kind of rocked me was that you, no one needed to give you permission to put your thoughts out there and share your ideas with the world. And, and the thought that I might have something to contribute, um, and, and this is nearly 10 years ago that I, that I started this, quite a bit earlier in my career, uh, absolutely did not have the experience then that I have now, um, but I could still provide value to the world and I didn't need to ask anyone whether or not I had ideas worth sharing. Basically my, my audience, so to speak, would provide that feedback and, and people did tell me what they were interested in, what they weren't interested in, what was helpful, what kind of got crickets, right? Um, so, and it just kind of, it just kind of took off from there. Yeah, that's great. And on engineering and leadership, what are the main things that you like to help people with? So I'm really interested in how uh, engineer, let me step back a little bit. 
A lot of us end up going down one of two paths in our careers. You can basically become a, a tech guru, right? You can be that guy who knows absolutely everything there is to know in some technical domain. And a lot of engineers go down that path. The alternate path, broadly speaking, it's not quite such a dichotomy, but the other path generally is to, to get into management, whether or not you're managing people, projects, products, whatever the case may be. Management is, is kind of the other, the other route. And the unfortunate thing is that a lot of engineers end up in management because they see it as the only viable path to progress in their careers. In a lot of companies, um, being that technical guru, while incredibly valuable, every, every technical company needs people who are, are technical experts, but a lot of companies are not willing to uh, hold those experts uh, on the same level of the, the, the corporate ladder as their management. So a lot of guys go into management, A, not really wanting to, B, not really having the skills to, but see no other path. So what I really like to talk about are, um, are the management and leadership skills that engineers need in order to thrive. And that's, that covers both management of yourself and management of teams as well. Um, and I do, I do draw a distinction between leadership and management and I, I'd like to cover both, but that, that's really, that's where I like to play is that, 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 uh, that gray area between technology, leadership, management, and business. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. It, I definitely see the same sort of trend where you become a really good engineer and then all of a sudden in order to progress, it's, Hey, let's throw you into management. And I don't think folks have spent time cultivating those, those management skills intentionally. So no, they're, they're different a, skill sets. They're, yeah. they're absolutely different skill sets. Yeah. And, and I think in a technical world, it's, it'd be very hard to become a successful manager without having technical chops. You need to understand the underlying work uh, in order to manage something effectively. There, there's no way around that, but you don't need to be a world-class expert to be good enough. You, your, your team exists to do that work. You can't yeah. be, you know, after a certain, a certain point in your, your career, there's no way you could possibly understand as well as your staff what they know. Take, take any CEO of a big company. There's no way they know every function in the company yeah. the way their subordinates do. So you, you, you don't need that, but you do need other skills. Um, and being a good engineer doesn't mean you're going to be a good manager. Yeah. So what are the main skills you've found contribute towards someone being a great manager or leader? So that's a good question. Um, one of the things that um, certainly in, in my experience, the, the managers and leaders that, that I've responded to uh, the best in my career are people who, um, who cared about me as a person. And, that, and that's, a, that's an important leadership skill is really, is really actually caring about the people on your team. Um, I know there are people who in my career didn't know I was married, let alone had a kid and others who, uh, you know, remembered that, oh, it, it, your kid's birthday must be coming up, right? How is Charlotte, right? Very clear difference. And, and when push comes to shove, when you've got to work overtime to get a deadline, when the project is impossible and the customer screaming at you, there's one guy you're going to want to put that overtime in for and another less so. And that makes all the difference in the world. So personal relationships are, are, are critical and that's, it's not hard, but it takes time and it's not mm -hmm. specifically called for in any manual in the company handbook. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but you got to do it. You got to do it. That's critical. And, and the other thing is um, 
being being organized yourself, having a certain method, having a certain process, a certain cadence to the way you manage gives your team an understanding of what to expect from you and, and understand what the expectations are of them as well. Um, and again, little things doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be anything, anything drastic. I, I hold, whenever I have uh, status meetings with one of my teams, I've got a very similar uh, set of questions that I ask and people, people come prepared and there's, there's a rhythm to things and, and everyone knows what's going on and to have, to be, to be predictable and to have those expectations set, I think is, is incredibly valuable. Yeah. So as someone who has developed those skills um, in, in your own life, what are some of the biggest maybe habits or behaviors that you've taken on that have allowed you to, to really, that have made a big impact on your skills as a leader? So one of the things that I have been working hard to cultivate for years now, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not necessarily all that good at it uh, on any one day, but in general, I'm, I'm, I'm trending in the right direction. And that is, that is being very intentional about my time. And, and this is something we talked about uh, uh, a little bit earlier, maybe, maybe before yeah. we started recording there. Um, when I'm in a meeting, I'm paying attention to that meeting. I'm not reading email. I'm not writing the report that's due tomorrow. Um, when I'm talking to you, I'm paying attention to you. I'm not bothering with my phone. If I'm sitting down to write that report, I'm not opening my inbox when, when a message comes in. In fact, I don't even have the, the, the notifications on. I'm really focused on that one thing at that one time. And what that does, is that focus allows me, me to, to, really, to really engage with the material. And that's helpful for when I'm, I'm interacting with people. And it also helps for when I'm, I'm thinking about something that requires actual thought, right? One of the, we were talking about in cozy earlier, there's a, there's another line in that handbook that, that uh, has stuck with me is that thinking is always in scope. No matter what project you're on, thinking has to be part of the deal. And we often don't give ourselves as engineers. And I, I think a lot of other uh, knowledge work professionals feel this would feel the same way. We don't give ourselves enough time to actually think about the work we've got to do. We go from one meeting to the next, one email to the next, one random conversation in the hallway to the next, and then all of a sudden it's the end of the workday and you, you go home and you don't think about anything because you're, you're, you're stressed out, right? Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's one thing that I really, um, like I said, it's still a work in progress, but I think, I think super, super valuable, whether you're in management or not. Yeah, absolutely. Even in, even in a more individual contributor role, I think that's huge. And it's something I see not a lot of, at least in my, in the cultures of the, the companies that I've been at. Um, and I think that's such a valuable skill is being able to be present and focused on what's important now. Because now I what, sorry, go for it. Oh, I was just going to say, so there's, I think there's this myth that we as humans have this ability to just multitask and be doing our email while we're thinking about this other thing while we're in a meeting. And that's just not true. It's not, not the most effective way to be. No, not, not even remotely. And, and one of the challenges with that is, is we, um, well, I, I personally away find it very hard to say, no, I want to help. I want to solve that problem. I want to help you personally. And one of the things that, um, has helped me a lot is learning to say no, or I'm not the best person for that, or not right now, but once I get these three other projects off my plate, I would love to. Um, 
it really, it really forces you to decide whether or not you're the best person for a given job and whether or not taking a certain something on moves you closer to your goal per- professionally and helps your team achieve its goals uh, within a work context too. And what that means when you really stop and think about it, it means saying no probably 10 times more often than what you're really comfortable with. And, and that's almost impossible early in your career too. It's, it's hard as hell to say no when someone comes to you because you, you, you're hungry. You want to learn. You don't want to be that, you want to, you don't want to be that guy that's like, ah, I don't, I don't really want to do that. But it, it, it takes guts, but it's really important. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you sort of talking about the confidence and how you have to face things that are uncomfortable a lot, because I think that's, again, that one is a skill. And I think we don't necessarily treat it that way or there can be this just belief that I have a certain level of confidence and it's fixed or, you know, that's uncomfortable. So I don't want to do it. Whereas often those things that are the most uncomfortable can be the biggest fear or or the biggest signal to go forward. Right. Absolutely. And there's another, another idea in that uh, Tim Ferriss book is the, um, the idea of getting comfortable with letting little bad things happen. Mm. And when you set up a process, when you decide to put yourself out there for something or say no to something else, it's possible that things go wrong. And generally, that's not going to be a life or death situation for you, right? Uh, If it won't matter this time tomorrow, this time next week, this time next month, it it probably is probably just fine. Even if you do get your wrist slapped or get embarrassed or whatever. Life will move on. And getting comfortable with those little bumps is, uh, is huge in terms of your own, your own growth. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And I think often people don't do the hard uncomfortable things because it's, although I don't think it actually feels that comfortable to be the person who's constantly busy in their mind and constantly you know, responding to emails while in meetings. I mean, that to me feels uncomfortable in the sense that it feels so like, so just busy and overwhelming. But at the same time, it's, it is comfortable because it can be just the standard way of being. And I think what you're saying about stepping outside of that, even if there is the potential for minor problems happening that are a little bit out of the ordinary, uh, I think that's fantastic. Have you, in your career, faced any particular things that were really uncomfortable to do at first, um, but then felt yourself, I have to dive into this thing. I have to do it this way, even if it's uncomfortable. And how did you face that uncomfortable thing? That's a really good question. Um, <clears throat> I would say, I would say in my, in my current role, um, I, um, you know, I'm, I'm in an industry that uh, I've only been in at this point for, for two and a half years or so. So the technology, like I said, is, is very new, very different. Um, and I was thrust onto a new program in a customer facing role where, you know, the, the, the demands of the program are, are huge. Um, and even when, even when everyone's playing nice and, and getting along, there's still, you know, there's still hard conversations to have and there are still, uh, uh, more often than not, there is no clear path forward on a, on a given problem. And yeah. um, one of the things that has helped me a lot is, is cultivating strong personal relationships with the people I've got to work with, 
um, which, which we've talked about a couple times. And what that, what that buys you is, uh, a little bit of, a little bit of grace because, because things aren't always going to go swimmingly. And if the people you let down in small ways, when little bad things happen, know you're a good guy and know what you're about and know what your situation is, and you've been vulnerable with them, uh, the overwhelming likelihood is that they're not going to chew you out or, or, you know, call your manager. Um, so, so building those relationships helps the other people to realize that, that you're all in this together, even though the, the task is big and complicated and, and all the rest. And the other thing is I've got really strong mentors internal to the organization, people I can go to and, and be frank with and be vulnerable with. Um, and that gives you a little bit of extra confidence when um, when you're not sure where to go with some reaction on how to approach a situation is is pretty good. Um, but just just hearing it from someone else that yeah no that's reasonable or here's a little tweak I would make makes a world of difference in terms of proceeding into a situation where uh, maybe maybe you don't have a world of experience. Maybe you are a decade younger than anyone else in the room, uh, but it's okay. Yeah. You mentioned having mentors. How did you cultivate mentor type relationships with those people? So one of the things that uh, I do and have done throughout my career is I um, try very hard to find people whose approach to work or their particular role or the way they lead others that I like that resonates with me. Um, and I do what I can to, to forge relationships with those people, even, even if it's, you know, being as forward as, Hey, could I take you out to coffee? Um, I heard you say X in the hallway the other day. I I'd like to dig into that. Um, and one of the other things you can do is, is try to find ways to provide value to those people, make it worth their while. And, and pretty soon, like I said, you, you, develop, you develop relationships and most people in an organization want to help other people, right? That's everyone's, everyone's showing up to work because they are passionate about what they do or, or uh, feel a sense of mission either to you know, the, the, the project they're on or the industry they're in or engineering in general. And it, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing what uh, help you can get from just asking. Yeah. Um, and, and, and listen, if, and if an, uh, the organization you're in has a formal mentoring program and I've worked in a couple places where there have been formal programs, sign up, just do it. It's, yeah. there, there, there's no magic to it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I relate to what you were saying about people genuinely do enjoy helping because I think that was a a mindset shift that I had to undergo because I think when I originally thought about those type of things, you know, mentorship or reaching out more to, to leaders in my organization, that was really scary to me. Um, and I had this mindset that they wouldn't have enough time or they would see it as me, you know, stealing their hard-earned knowledge that... <laughs> And that wouldn't be fair to them or something like that. Um, whereas what I find in reality, at least with the vast majority of people, is just they genuinely enjoy being able to pass along experience and help a younger person. So, Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There's, there's, um, uh, there's a huge, 
and I feel it too when, when a junior engineer comes to me to ask for advice, be it on their work or their career or, or family life, whatever it is, there's a huge personal satisfaction there. Um, I finished a book not long ago called Start Finishing. And for the life of me, I, I can't think, think of the author. It's going to drive me nuts. But um, one of the, one of the, the, the whole book is about how to, lots of people get great ideas and start interesting projects, but find it really hard to get it over the finish line, get it really done, done, done. And one of the ideas presented in the book is the value of what's, what they call a success pack, which is really kind of like your own internal board of directors and, and calling those people and saying, I'm doing this project and I'm going to need your help and your advice on this. Can you help me? And then making it part of your routine every couple of weeks to call everyone on your success pack and say, you know, here's, here's what I've done on this and here's how I implemented your advice. And you'd be amazed at how excited people get for you when you go to do something big and actually take their advice and do something with it. That's, that's a, that's a win-win. That's a, a really cool experience. That's fantastic. I love that. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll, 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 send, I'll send you a link. I'll send you a link to it uh, yeah. after our call. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, one thing I wanted to dive into, I know on your website, you talk a lot about productivity. What are some of the biggest things that you've learned on how to be more productive as an engineer? Uh, so we already talked about focus. Um, and, and that's, uh, and that's huge, really. So, <laughs> I, I, I don't believe in multitasking and I'm all about unitasking, really choosing a thing and doing that thing. Um, and there's a bunch of things you can do to, to make that easier. Um, be it setting up your environment. So for me, um, we're all working from home now with, uh, with COVID-19. And I know a lot of my staff are uncomfortable with working from home because they don't have dedicated workspaces. And setting up your environment such that those little things that are likely to distract you, whether it's your dog or your kids, or if it's at the office, maybe it's a, a coworker or, or whatever, set yourself up for success. Get headphones if you need them or earplugs if you need them. Um, set up your, your light and your chair and everything the right way and, and have that be part of your routine. Um, I do something called the, the Pomodoro technique, which is a fancy name for a really simple concept where you just set a 20 minute timer and you put your head down and you say for 20 minutes, no matter what, I'm going to work on this task. And more often than not, after the 20 minute timer is up, I'm into it and I'm, I'm in some sort of flow and it's really easy to just keep going with it. Um, lots of really, really good books, uh, on that. Um, eat that frog from Brian Tracy is a, is a really good one. And that's a good, that's a good, uh, uh, tip too, is, is, is eating, eating your frogs first thing in the morning. And, uh, the, the whole idea being like, whatever's on your list, take the biggest, baddest thing, the one you're dreading and just do that first. And then the rest of the day, you can kind of proceed with the pleasure of knowing the worst is behind you and you've probably accomplished something significant already if you can just get down to business with that one thing. Um, but yeah, there's, there, there's a ton on the website. Um, there's a, a, there, there are a ton of books out there. Some really, really good material for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And when you talk about limiting distractions as a <clears throat> millennial myself, I think the number one distraction that I think is the case for us younger folks, but probably everyone as well is our phone. And I find when I do something intentionally to get that thing, you know, in another room or in a backpack or something that can make an enormous impact on my own productivity. 
Oh, for sure. For sure. And one of the things that, that can make that easier for people. So, so for me, it's, it's, it's very easy because when I'm at the office, it's a, it's a secure area. I'm not allowed my phone in there. And, oh. and that took, that took some getting used to, yeah. uh, but it, it ended up being great. Right. I, I miss, I miss having my own music, but besides that it's, it's fantastic. And just setting expectations with the people who are likely to call you to let them know, like, I'm not going to have my phone on me from this time to this time. If there's something like really, truly urgent, here's my office number. And, and there you go. And that, and there are probably only a handful of people who need your office number from your personal life to, you know, to reach out to you urgently. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's huge. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. And I know another thing on your website that you've talked about is, job hunting or, you know, finding the right career for you. What are some of the best tips you've found on, you know, if somebody, let's start with if somebody doesn't know exactly what career they want to get into, how should they go about uncovering that? So a couple things that, that come to mind right away. <clears throat> um, one is, one is to think through um, the kinds of things that your friends and family ask you for help with, right? So one of the questions that I get asked by friends and family to help with our spreadsheets. Okay. So someone's trying to make a budget or someone's trying to organize data. My, my wife, for example, their hospital is obviously, obviously trying to, to better organize their, uh, their personal protective equipment right now. They want to know how many masks they're going to burn through over the course of COVID-19. So a bunch of doctors, brilliant people, they don't use spreadsheets. So they, they went and asked the engineer, right? Um, so if you can recognize these, these things that people go to you for and that you're happy to help them with, that's probably a good, a good indicator uh, with respect to the kinds of skills you should, be, you should be employing in your career. And you might be surprised at the kind of things you're good at that people value uh, that, you can, that you can do in your career. Um, another thing that I, I think is incredibly powerful is something called uh, informational interviews, where you'll literally... It, it sounds sounds crazy, but you know you find a career you're interested in or a company you're interested in, and don't just throw resumes at them. Find someone who works there on LinkedIn and write them a write them a note. Say, listen, I'm re really fascinated about what you do. Um, I, I did this when I I, I had applied for a, a role as a product manager at uh, at Bombardier, which is a really really cool gig. But uh, I'd, I'd never even heard of it before that. I saw a job posting that looked fascinating. So I, I took someone out to lunch, say, what exactly do you do? And you, you, you can do this as long as you're very clear that you're not in it to get anything in particular out of someone and you're very respectful of their time. And again, most people are happy to go out to lunch and, and to just have an interesting conversation about themselves, about what they do. Right. Yeah. Um, and that has the side benefit of you being on someone's radar and who knows when that may or may not bear fruit, but it doesn't hurt to come across as someone who's professional, courteous, and, and interested and, yeah. and curious about someone else. Right. Uh, really good way to meet people, really good way to learn more about whether or not that might scratch an itch for you. Um, keep talking about books. There's a, another one called um, what color is your parachute from uh, I think, I think the last name is Knowles, uh, which is uh, this book's been published once a year in, in, in increasing editions forever. And it's, it's kind of the 
gold standard for job hunters. So that's one, that's one people should check out for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. And then, so that was a bit more on the realm of how do I figure out what career I want? And then if you do have something in mind, if you're like, I want this specific type of role at this company, what should people go do to go about getting a particular role? So I would say, I would say start with the end in mind. Um, and one of the best ways to do that is to go look at job ads, go see what, what people in industry are looking for. Take note of the specific education you need, whether or not there are any credentials you need. Um, and, and don't, don't limit yourself in terms of if you don't have the specific experience required, can you, can you look into other ways of getting, building those same skills? right? Could you volunteer? Could you? So uh, for example, I'm a systems engineer. Turns out business analysts share a lot of common skills in terms of requirements management and facilitation and, and understanding the underlying need for a particular system or process. So you could easily make the jump from one to the other, though it doesn't really seem it at first. So understanding what people are, are actually looking for which is easy to do because you can go on, on a job board and then, and then make yourself a, a bit of a gap analysis, figure out what it is that you lack and then look for opportunities to, uh, to chip away at that. One of the things that I've learned that I think is, is brilliant in terms of making a shift in careers is you never want to change both a role and industry at the same time. If you want to do that, it's best to make two jumps. So, try to, if you, if I wanted to become a project manager in, I don't know, um, uh, widget manufacturing, right. I'd want to first become a, a project manager in my own industry and then move, move industries or, or make, find a, find a systems engineering role in the new industry and then transition to PM. That's, that's another way you can kind of bridge gaps between where you are and where you'd like to end up. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, Pat, I think this has been an awesome interview. Um, I want to be respectful of your time here. Is there anything you'd like to leave our audience with? Oh, listen, I, I would say just it, thank you so much for, uh, for having me. And, and if I were to, to give the audience um, any advice at all, it's that uh, uh, a growth mindset is incredibly, incredibly important. And no matter where you are, no matter where you want to go, there's, there's progress that you can make towards, towards that goal. So uh, little steps every day, progress over perfection is incredibly important. So whether you want to become that technical guru or a manager or whatever the case may be, um, start making steps, start taking bold action today and uh, you, be, you can amaze yourself at what you can accomplish. Yeah, I love it. Where can people reach you if they want to find more? Uh, best place is the website, and that's uh, www.engineeringandleadership.com. And all my contact information and social media accounts are there. And uh, more than happy to hear from people. And uh, uh, I return every email. So, uh, yeah, ha have at her. Awesome. Yeah, thanks so much, Pat. That was amazing. Great. Thanks, Dylan. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Engineer Soft Skills Podcast. If you're interested in more, you can go to engineersoftskills.com to check out more videos, podcasts, articles, and to download a free PDF called The Ultimate Guide to Soft Skills. This is a 25-page ebook covering the best of what I've learned on how to level up your soft skills in order to develop a career and life that you love. Thank you for listening.